Your host, Sean, none other than my very own dad, sits down with inspirational individuals who share key learnings from their own experiences on becoming great. Sean sits down and unpacks their formula for success and in turn highlights how we can all learn from others' experiences, unlocking our own scope to grow and become our best version. I'm confident that you will all enjoy it. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Hey guys, we're very, very lucky to have uh, Gilbert and Oka joining us here today on the podcast. Uh, we've been involved and hosted a number of inspirational speakers through the stellar journey over time, and I've attended a lot of uh, events, personally myself, and Gilbert and Oka, without doubt, would have to be one of the most popular and well-regarded speakers I've seen, and also the feedback we've had, so you're in for a, a real treat today, guys. Really hope you enjoy. Real privilege to catch up with Gilbert. Um, I certainly heard him speak a couple of times in the past and had some really great feedback. So for those that don't know who Gilbert is, uh, the few that uh, that don't, uh, he's the mental skills coach with the All Blacks and, and has been for the last uh, circa 20 years. Uh, in itself, um, Gilbert's been on a, a really interesting journey himself uh, with uh some challenges maybe to start with in life, um, uh, first 12 years of his life uh, in an orphanage to now becoming the mental skills coach uh, of one of the most uh, successful sporting teams of all time, a pretty remarkable story in itself and you know, I guess he's created a bit of a legacy working as part of the wider group uh, in the All Blacks. We have helped uh, the players uh, work at the peak of their abilities and I guess equipping those players with the tools to make the most of their potential and now also extended some of those learnings and skills to the corporate world. So really looking forward to the chat here today, Gilbert. But maybe we were talking just before about maybe some of the realisations or reflections of this time uh, during COVID. Uh, you've had the maybe the good fortune of spending a bit of time with your lovely wife in Christchurch reflecting on a few things. But what, what sort of come come to the surface during that, uh, I guess, forced period of time uh, at home? Oh, thank you, Sean. Thank you for the welcome and thanks for the inviting me on this particular podcast. So I guess, yeah, there's been a few, to be fair. Um, sometimes people need to be stopped in their tracks a little bit to pause and view things from a different lens. My life, um, obviously in professional sport, is spending five to six months touring around the world with the All Blacks and when I'm not doing that, I'm doing speaking around the world in different places, and which means whenever I come home, I just stay at home, really. And um, it becomes a port in between the different things that I'm doing in my life. But what this is, the first realisations around the fact that, you know, it's a stay at home versus living at home. And, you know, I've really come to understand that home is a place to be lived in, not just a place to stay in. I've cooked, I've used the spa, I've I've just chilled and and just enjoyed the the comforts of learning how to live again and love again and and do those things. Um, secondly, I think uh, the role of optimism I think is a realization. Um, I'm generally an optimistic person, and I don't like um, you know looking at Armageddon and and the the most um, challenging of situations. I, I tend to go there, uh, acknowledge it, work out a plan, and then actually move back into the reality of what is and deal with that. But I think the understanding that, especially for families, and you know, if you're inside the home and you're inside your bubble and you're being an example and thought and language about, you know, there's always a way, you can always bounce back, let's take a view at this then, what a great example you're showing your children and other people about the way to tackle difficult times and challenging situations and we don't want to let gloom steal the hope, and so I think that's important. And whilst I'm not in these situations myself, several of my friends have sort of suggested to me that it, while it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a winery to homeschool. So that's sort of <laughs> another realisation. Absolutely. So, no, I love that at the end of the day, yeah, you're, you're a realist, so you, you, you go to the reality of the situation, but, yeah, you look through that through the – optimistic lens and, and that's obviously supported by a plan but yeah I love the the fact that um, 
you know, it's a good uh, opportunity to provide uh, leadership will be a good example for kids or people around you in terms of how you navigate those challenges. So, yeah, I support those views uh, 100%. So that's um, good to hear. But I might just sort of jump into some of the, the key questions. Um, and, you know, I guess the first one is, you know, my thoughts is that, you know, sport's a great metaphor for life and, and obviously with that, you know, business, and, and you've sort of shown that to be true in terms of some of those themes that transcend across both. But, I mean, looking through that high-performance lens, what are the sort of core fundamentals of how the All Blacks have created this enduring high-performance environment that seemingly, you know, just goes on. Uh, I know we talked last year, obviously, unfortunately, didn't quite get the, the World Cup, but still a, a proud campaign. But what are those core fundamentals, if you could quote a few, Gilbert? Yeah, it's a easy question to ask, a more difficult one to answer <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's not a matter of a menu-driven recipe that people follow. Probably, it's probably better or best embedded in understandings, really, and uh, once you understand that high performers don't need rules, they just need a strong purpose. So it's understanding how to align individuals to those particular places. There's a, there's a particular piece of research, I think, which probably gives a good a good sort of segue or view into this understanding. And uh, they looked, the average um, lifespan of businesses over the last 80 years is diminished by something like 76%. So businesses come onto the landscape and 80 years ago, a long time ago, they were lasting for about 60, 70, 80 years. Nowadays, the average lifespan is 15. And yet there's another group of companies, businesses, organisations, which are blowing the candles out on their 100th birthday and look like they are going to be there forever. And this is a piece of research that was done and the All Blacks were included in that. And so the question they asked was, why is this trend of the average lifespan diminishing? And yet we have this group of centennial organisations that are just continuing on and if not powering on and look like they last forever. And what they found was that the most successful centennial organisations, businesses, teams, whatever, were what they termed radically traditional. So they did two things um, that were really important. And one is that they understood the core. So they understood who they were, um, what they were about, and they never messed with that. You know, whilst the people changed and the jersey changed and the, the jumper, as you guys call it, while all of that changed, what never changes is that core. And if you mess with that, then you do it at your peril. But what they do is they really disrupt the edges and they send lots and lots of uh, waves of disruption around the edges. So they're more interested in tirelessly tweaking than they are of looking for the next big thing. And, you know, how do you get a 1,000% improvement? Well, you improve a 1,000 things by 1%. So at the heart of why I think the All Blacks have sustained performance over this length of time is because... A, we understand our core. Two, we preserve it with everything we've got. And three, we send lots and lots of disruptions around those edges to try and move skill sets, move strategy, move tactics, move the way in which we live and the culture, all of those things together. I love that answer. I think uh, it's a great one in the sense that that core DNA uh, of what makes the organisation what it is remains the same, but at the same time, you're constantly seeking ways to find those incremental one percenters, as you put it, uh, and sort of disrupt some of those things and innovate to sort of uh, remain relevant and, and in front of the competition. So I think that's a, it's a great answer and maybe sort of ties into the next question and, and maybe around about the time of 2007 perhaps after another World Cup it become evident that uh, I, I guess mental skills and mental strength and, and those sorts of things were something that the organisation chose to, to look at um, after what took place uh, against the old French. Um, and I guess this question sort of ties into the power of the mind. And as a young fellow growing up in Dunedin, uh, certainly I was haunted and I'm sure other uh, people at that time were haunted by the fact that it seemed like for the best part we were the best team in the world but when it counted sometimes we couldn't quite get the job done and that was uh, something that sort of just sort of lay beneath the surface and, and I think at times uh, referred to as the, 
the chokers when it really mattered. So I guess my question is, you know, how did the team sort of navigate that mindset from, you know, maybe, you know, when it come to the those key moments, maybe uh, not quite delivering what they needed to uh, in those moments to now having this aura. I mean, uh, a client of ours, uh, his young son, uh, Bradley Piscineri, sort of said that, you know, that, that they now seem to have this team culture and aura that is so different to every other team out there. I mean, can you sort of, again, maybe an easy question to, to ask, harder to dissect and respond to, but what, what would you say to that? Yeah, look, I think it's, you know, there's at some stages in the career of teams and the, the timeline of teams, there's moments and time that are defining. Uh, 2007 was a defining moment. Um, there's no secret source, but there's some brutal confrontations. Um, you know, we had to look the truth in the eye, and, and I was part of the problem, actually, you know, because when we did that, we looked into the, the brutal reality is that what we weren't able to do in those moments was actually deal with the pressure and deal with um, the situations that confront athletes and teams at various certain times where everything you've worked for comes down to these key big moments. So, um, you know, the first thing was to acknowledge that, you know, that I was part of the problem and I didn't have the skill set and, uh, you know, to be able to influence the team. So I had to do some work on uh, looking at other ways. So we bumped and disrupted some edges and cutting to the chase, really, it, it, it's, it's ensuring the mindset was right. So what we've learned is that your skill set doesn't matter if your mindset's wrong. Um, and you can come in being the most skilled at being able to execute with all these skills. But in a given moment, if if you can't see things clearly or be decisive, then any skill set you have just doesn't work. So ensuring you have ensuring you have this within your controls really really important in my opinion. Um, I, I've or we've believed that. Most often, sort of sports men and women have two components that sort of compete for control, and this will sort of give an understanding. It's the situation you're in, and you, the individual inside the situation, and they compete against each other in those moments. So, if you see the situation is bigger than you, then it puts you in a state of overload or overwhelm, and it's not a good space to be. But if you see yourself as an individual as bigger than the situation, then that you're confronted with well put you in a position of control or at least influence and and so the key question that we began to ask ourselves was are we dealing to the situation or is the situation dealing to you and from that point on um, we've decided we want our players to get better and better and better at doing this and we teach them ways to do it and uh, 2007 was a a moment which caused a brutal acknowledgement um, of our reality, and then we've gone about actually addressing those situations in a way that can enable us to um, triumph rather than actually falter. You know, I mean, I don't doubt that this is a, a journey in terms of the evolution of those uh, frameworks and, and mental skills, but, but how do you take individuals on that journey and, and, and what's the sort of tangible upside of people really investing on that uh, mental skills growth? Yeah, like it's, um, I think it starts with the leader. Um, I've been fortunate throughout my career to um, have people that have coached the All Blacks that have understood the power of the mind and the place of mental skills. It all started with Wayne Smith, you know, just a way, be- way ahead of his time. You know, then Graham Henry, Sir Graham Henry, now Sir Steve Hansen. Now I'm privileged to be working with Ian Foster, you know. But if you understand that the mindset of most people is that if you want to get strong, if you want to build the, the capacity and capability of your muscles, will you go to the gym three times a week? Uh, if you want to develop um, aerobic capacity, well, you're doing interval trainings and you're three to four times a week. And it's a no-brainer and athletes accept that. Um, and they all connect training with um, sweating that. It's easy to sweat. So the, the natural extension is if you want to strengthen your mental muscle, then you need to apply the same philosophy. And so you need to be able to say, well, what are the ways that um, we can um, invest in that are going to enable us to become more 
resilient. And if you really look at the most times that individuals and teams fail or they don't succeed, you could almost guarantee that the mental game is either front and centre or it's a big part of it. And um, you were a very, very um, you know, challenged coach or a leader of a group if you don't acknowledge that strengthening that's important. And, of course, the magic's in the method. Um, the, th- the therapist is more important than the therapy. So it's it's who you get delivering it. It's how you get that integrated into your structures and, and the methods. And one of the beautiful things about what we're going through at the moment is it's a, uh, with COVID, is it's a perfect opportunity for individuals to really, really develop structures that really strengthen their mental resilience, which is, you know, which I define as your ability to tolerate emotional distress. So, uh, and people are doing it because they have to, because of the feelings that are accompanied and associated with, with it. And so, what we want to be able to do is that if you're not embracing this aspect of the performance equation, then you're not tapping into the potential that you or the team that you work with can ultimately achieve, in my view. Now, I love that answer in terms of uh, enabling or making that true potential uh, realised or realising that. And I've got a bit of a vision that uh, hopefully in time it's not just limited to uh, the All Blacks and high-performance folk like that, uh, that they uh, leverage mental skills coaches to get the most out of themselves. Hopefully we can democratise the costs or accessibility to those coaches so uh, it's afforded to individuals to get the most out of themselves and and whatever world they live in uh, and whatever aspirations they have so it's great that that's now being embraced i think maybe 20 years ago there might have been a dim view on accessing a uh, a mental skills coach so it's great that you guys are leading the way and demonstrating those results and in that regard but you you mentioned that metaphor of exercising that muscle Um, obviously we go to gyms and whatnot to exercise that muscle to get stronger and fitter and whatnot they're the same obviously uh, is true of the mind but what are the 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 actual material benefits to uh you know i guess your mental health of physical exercise just taking that in, in a slight tangent yeah great question for the time sean really because um, it's the mental health that's been challenged at the moment by a large degree area of the population and the connection to wellness or physical health or physical fitness is a good one. Uh, my personal opinion is that it's intricately connected to overall mental health. Um, and if you're not embarking on some aspects of um, um, physical activity, then you, you will probably feel the resultant tensions that connect to your mental health wellness piece for me is about having a daily action plan rather than thinking of it as an outcome. So don't think of mental health or or wellness. I think we're living in a time where uh, don't get obsessed with uh, the perfect stitch. You know, we we know that if a heart surgeon was doing a heart transplant and they concentrated on the perfect stitch uh, when they're transplanting the heart, well, when they put the new one in, the patient would die. So they put the heart in and they, they get this thing stitched up so that the organ can function. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, it's a little bit like that in this particular time. So what I do, the best example is probably give you an example of what I do. So uh, we've been in lockdown here in New Zealand. This is probably six weeks isolated at home. Our SNC coach has given me a home-based exercise program that I do. Um, hard, actually, because um, not as young as I used to. That looks after my body. <laughs> um, I practice Bikram yoga. That's um, and I've turned my study into a Bikram studio, and I bought another cheap heater so I can heat my room to thirty-two degrees. So that takes care of my mind. I just have sixty-minute, ninety-minute routines that I can do. And for my heart, well, there's no sport, and you know me, Sean. I'm a sportaholic, so <laughs> I've stepped, I've series linked a range of quiz shows: The Chase, Tipping Point, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And I schedule appointments throughout the day where I sit and watch them. Don't feel guilty about it because it's the, it, that's what feeds my heart. And so it's the combination of the mind, the body and heart that fills the wellness tank that connects to the whole mental health picture. And um, to me, it's the combination of the three that's really important. So you need aspects of the mind, of the body and of the heart and you're kind of if you think of a metaphor like if you think that your brain's a battery 
So when, when negative stress builds up, it drains your battery. But when you check your battery charge and choose a recharge strategy, well, you can course correct before it leads to overwhelm. And, and so physical activity is a part of that. But I'd also really, you know, ensure that we have other aspects that feed that wellness tank and assist the overall mental health of people living today. Now, great answer once more across those sort of three spectrums and, and also back to the old, I guess, adage around, you know, sticking to the process and not getting too hung up on the outcome, but it seems like you've you've adapted well and you've got a good uh, good process that works under the current circumstances, which is uh which is good, and, and I guess that's a, I'd call it a maybe a bit of a formula. And, and talking about formulas, I guess my next question goes to the great Richie McCaw. Obviously, you, you know a fair bit about Richie, maybe more than most. And I've had the good fortune to to have a little bit to do with Richie through his association with with Stella, and and, and yeah, obviously a, a remarkable individual. The the results and outcomes speak for themselves and, and I've heard you say in the past that uh, you say that uh, champions display champion behaviours. I, I guess my question for you being so close to Richie is what are his champion behaviours? Well, yeah, like he's, uh, he's one of those generation athletes, aren't they, isn't he, that come along every once in a while, uh, yet he's so super humble, um, his humility is defining, um, his genetics are brilliant, he's super talented, he not only works hard but he works smart, uh, he understands the harder he works the harder it is to surrender, so that's sort of a mantra which drives the man, um, he works on himself um, as a whole person, not just the rugby piece and I think that's a, that's a piece that acts as a, as a real magic piece in the formula because if the foundation isn't right and in a lot of these other areas, they're not going to be there for you in those moments where you've got to inspire others and lead and be courageous in those moments. Um, he's authentic. Um, he doesn't have to be something he's not, and he isn't. He grew into that. Um, you know, leaders born or made. He was a lot of Richie that's been made, and he's worked hard on himself. Uh, what you see is what you get. You know, we know he's talented, he's capable, he's courageous, he's inspiring, and you know, every day his behaviours are reflective of what people see. And so there's no magic formula in that. It was just a man that was driven to to say, I want to commit everything I've got to doing this. And when it finishes and I look back, I want to be able to have no regrets. And um, I kind of like that, that there, there isn't a magic formula, but there's some wisdom in, in observing some of those key behaviours. Yeah, fantastic and insightful answer and I think uh, no doubt accompanied by uh, a real will to win or be the best he can be and, and no doubt the team as well, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was never about him. It was always about the team, the legacy um, and everything that, um, that poured into that particular vessel. No, fantastic. Um, I'm interested to hear your answer to this next question uh, because sometimes I think you have assumptions around, you know, these supreme athletes and, and are they superhuman and, and those sorts of things from a mere mortal point of view. But uh, Cus DeManto, the famous uh, boxing coach for Mike Tyson, uh, in his early stage of his career, he had this quote, um, and it goes something like this, uh, the hero and the coward both feel the same thing, but the hero uses his fear, projects it onto his opponent while the coward runs. It's the same thing, fear, but it's what you do with it that matters. Now, I guess my question off the back of that is, be it fear or nerves, do champions in your experience experience these? And and I, I think you've also got a bit of a notion around not getting stuck. So what would you say to that question? Well, the first part of that question, Sean, is absolutely, you know, like um, do people get scared? Hell yes. You know, do they get fearful? Hell yes. It's it's all part of being human. So um, it's kind of, um, you know, the, the fears that the All Blacks have and, the you know, the, a lot of the top athletes that I've had the privilege of working with are, are not void of that. You don't become, develop the superpower, which, which means that you can shield yourself from that. And as you've rightly sort of said and the quote sort of serves, it's basically how you deal with that. Like I've learned that... Um, 
we all have a load that we can tolerate, um, not set in stone for people, and, and it fluctuates over time. But the mental formula is the same. You know, we, when you reach, when your limits reach, the key is not to get stuck. Um, you know, we we teach our sports people that it's okay to feel the fear, it's okay to get the jitters, it's okay to wobble, it's okay to bend, it's okay to buckle. Just make sure you don't break. And the key is that we don't stand still in those movements where fear rears its head and you're confronted with the reality of will you or won't you, you've got to keep moving. And the key is in making sure that we don't get stuck and and that the you know our worst enemy doesn't lie between our own two ears. So, yep, they are um, human and they feel the fear. And, yes, what we tend to do is we want to basically give them um, skill sets that can help them um, I guess it's as much about getting out of their own way more than anything. Most often people behave and responds and in, in, um, in response to their you know their experiences in life, their genetics and and what's actually happening in the, in the way in which they've been treated as, in, as individuals over time. So once you understand that the, the moments that fear raise their its head, that they are normally critical moments and, you know, if you can acknowledge them with a smile, by the way, you know, then lean into them, uh, then unleash the skills and talents you possess, then more often than not, you will triumph. I love, uh, good to hear that, um, I guess there's uh, almost a, uh, a normalisation of fear that it, uh, everyone ex- experiences it. And, and I guess, you know, to paraphrase some of the stuff you talk about, it's, trying to encourage uh embrace that you know it's uh it's there it is what it is it's normal but embrace that and then maybe utilize some of those strategies or tools or techniques to sort of uh move forward and and make the most of uh whatever's in front of you rather than sort of deer in the headlights uh, sort of thing and freeze and back to that uh comment of not getting stuck so it's probably a good uh good way to sort of segue into some of the other adages you've exposed me and others to in the past and maybe a bit of a a rapid fire fashion as best we can because I think they're they're really really good and I've had so much uh, great feedback on these. But um, I might just sort of start with the first one, Gilbert. You state that good leaders should have a wishbone, a backbone, and a funny bone, and that's all you need. So can you elaborate further on that? Yeah. Hey, look, I'm simple sort of human being. Don't like to overcomplicate things. Um, I've learned that nothing paralyzes the brain like a blank piece of paper or a piece of paper that's got so much information on it that it ties you in knots. So I kind of encourage people to be short and sharp um, in terms of um, wish, dream big, have a backbone, so be able to front the obstacles that come your way. And boy, you've got to have some fun along the way because if you don't celebrate and laugh, she becomes a pretty lonely journey. So short and sharp always penetrates deeper. No, I like that. That's fantastic. This next one is, uh, I think it's a good one for people that struggle to be present, but uh, explain the notion of be where your feet are. Yeah, like language is powerful, isn't it? It's um, being where your feet are is about where your attention needs to be if you want to get success. And um, we hear a lot in general motivation and, um, you know, mental performance speak that you've got to be either in the present, past or future. Uh, I've found sometimes that becomes difficult for people to grasp. So being where your feet are, feet are is about being present in a given moment. Um, and if you're in that moment and you deal with what needs to be done in that moment, then it enables you then to step into the next one. If you're being, in your feet, being where your feet are there, then you can get success. And we hear the word momentum a lot. Um, and if you understand that we want it, and you hear a lot of people uh, talk about that, and at times we want to stop it, when opponents have it, then in its um, simplicity, it's all about getting in one moment and dealing to that. Then if you can connect and be where your feet are in the next moment and you connect these moments together, then moments upon moments become or create momentum. So it becomes a very, very powerful tool. No, fantastic one there. Just to send here, I think as soon as you hear the phrase, it, it certainly does that. So I think that's a great one. So this next one, I think uh, you, you use an example of Kieran Reid and his leadership maybe at one moment in time during a test against the uh, the old foe, the Aussies. But explain the um, the comment, uh, be at your best 
when your best is needed and just on the back of that, not all moments in time are equal. Yeah, I think we're taught all our lives certain um, sort of old wisdoms and one of the wisdoms that pervaded the performance environment or landscape is that if you want to be great, then you have to be at your best every day. Well, I've learned in sport that you don't, you know, that what's most important is that all you have to do is to be at your best when your best is needed and and not all moments in time are equal because, you know, you can play a round-robin tournament and you can lose a game, but um, it doesn't mean to say you're knocked out. You might have a different opponent, but once you get to knockout, you can get into the same situation and whether or not you succeed in that moment is very, very defining. So that moment is is, is more important for you to access being at your best. So, yeah, and sometimes it's not only on the sports field. Sometimes you have to be at your best when you walk in the door at home. Um, you know, we champion performers love the big moments. Um, they deliver in the big moments and they understand that um, not, not all moments are equal, but, boy, if they can be their best and they know when they are likely to be and construct their stuff inside that particular bubble, then look out, they become a very, very difficult opponent for anyone, any time. Now, I love that, uh, particularly maybe referring to some of those people that view it in the right way, see that, uh, look forward to those moments, don't avoid them, and those moments can be definitive for the good or the great, not to the downside, and, and look forward to those opportunities. I like Richie, he uh, and the... Um, Chase a great documentary. There was uh, a lot of rhetoric at, at one point in time ago around what what happens if you don't win the World Cup. And I think he and you guys spun that and goes, well, why don't we reword that back to the power language? What happens if we do? And and obviously the latter is much more uplifting and, and empowering and exciting as opposed to looking at the downside. So I think that's a it's a great one. This next one, and you, you showed a great demonstration. I think there's there's a, a link on um, YouTube around this to illustrate it. But talk to us quickly about above and below the line thinking and, and with that language. Yeah, like it's uh, that phrase above and below the line uh, is not new. It's not mine. It's it's just it's one that's out there that thousands and thousands of people use it. But boy, truly understood. It's wonderful tool to have. Um, above and below the line thinking is all about the attitude you bring to a given moment. So in a given moment, you can be in a situation and how you interpret that situation. Above the line generally is about whether you view it positively and below the line is whether you view it negatively and and there's associated behaviours with, e- with each of those particular mindsets. But the real key understanding is that um, you know, the brain's hardwired to go below the line because, you know, the, it can't distinguish between a threat to its survival and a threat to its ego and identity. So more often than not, when you get your ego threatened or your identity threatened, you will automatically go below the line. It's part of the way the red brain works, the, that system that's automatic, that's fast, that sees a threat, that just turns that part of the brain on and switches off the the other systems. So, you know, you've got to be on your guard all the time. And and the key understanding in this is to make sure that it's not about not going below the line. It's making sure that you can identify when you are and just don't get stuck there. Just have a structure or something that enables you to, to move back above the line. So where things can be more productive for you. Now, fantastic. We'll include that uh, illustration on the show notes, guys, uh, so you can better see that, but it's a, a great one. And I think this last um, adage for me is uh, it, it really sort of smacks you in the face, um, and I'll get you to explain it better than what I will, but the last one is everyone has two lives, and your second one begins when you you, you realise you've only got one. So can you just elaborate on that, Gilbert? Yeah, cool understanding, isn't it? And um, Yeah. And the, the interesting notion is we're probably going through a time at the moment where this particular, um, you know, quote is, is really relevant. So the whole notion is that sometimes we, you know, when you're young and you're going about your life, you, you think you're going to live forever, you know, you have experiences that are far and wide and you take things for granted and then 
you just you go on and on and on and, and life is great and you just sort of think, wow, this is amazing. And then, then quite often you get exposed to sort of an experience which changes your perspective. It can be a major life event of death of somebody you love. It can be some sort of life event. It can be milestone life change for you or for someone around you. And it sort of wakes us up to what is important in life. You know, people quite often get diagnoses and all of a sudden they're saying, I've been taking for granted this sort of thing. And then they they sort of settle their perspective on what is important in life. And it's at that point that your second life um, really begins. And, and I think it's really pertinent now because I think coming out of lockdown or isolation or, you know, working remotely, I think many people have had a pause where they've probably looked into and at their lives and what's important and it may very well be the switch that turns a lot of people into a state or a stage where they say, well, I'm going to do things differently from here and um, I'm going to prioritise these things more than I have in the past, you know, because, you know, living and loving become more important than achieving and striving and thriving. So I'm going to be really interested to look to see, no right or wrong, um, it'll be what it'll be, but once we understand what's important in life and the older you get, that seems to get more refined and defined, we tend to settle into a perspective that is more about you choosing to live in a different way. Now, I think that's a, a fantastic uh, insight and answer. So I'm just going to throw to a couple of questions I've got uh, from a few different people in anticipation of this uh catch up today the first one's from a good mate of mine and a good man um uh michael gavin who's uh, an executive at a company called russell mineral equipment but uh his question is what can businesses recover uh, recovering from covid19 learn from the ab's approach to recovering from their rugby world cup result um and he sort of alluded to some parallels might include loss of key personnel seeking solutions to dormant weaknesses that have been newly exposed, resetting the focus, uh, you know, on goals moving forward uh, through a different lens uh, post the event and building engagement in the face of external distractions. Yeah, well, he's given some really good examples there, hasn't he? <laughs> he has. He's um, a smart man. Yeah, obviously very successful man too. And, you know, like I think um, his, his perspective will be similar of a lot of people because, you know, the – business world has changed for so many people, you know, even the sports industry all of a sudden, you know, um, no mm. product, no revenue, no revenue, no job, and people who thought they were bulletproof all of a sudden are finding, well, my, there's no certainty anymore, so things have changed their perspective. Uh, you know, the World Cup, um, you know, the, 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 this result wasn't as devastating, you know, certainly not as devastating. We didn't lose any lives. Um, you know, but people would get stressed because they love sport and, and those things there. But what comes to mind look, looking at the questions, um, look, it, it, it's it's a bit about what the market will bring, but mostly it's about what you bring. So I think as a leader and as an individual working anywhere, it's never about the conditions you face. The decisions you make are far more powerful than the conditions you face. So once you understand that, no one's got a leash around your neck dragging you through your day, that you basically have um, a lots of different things come at you and decisions to make, and you make them, and as a result of those, they define your experiences. And what I am finding and what we had to do post-Rugby uh, World Cup and what we're doing in, in the COVID world is that it's important that uh, you don't only just prepare yourself healthily in terms of what you do physically, but You've got to prepare your people mentally for the day and for the week. So, you know, we need to be, you know, having conversations with our people about anything you're struggling with, uh, what energizes you most at the moment, what burdens you, you know, where are you vulnerable? So you don't have to pull yourself into a pit, but you're, you're bringing to the forefront aspects of how you can mentally prepare for your day or your week by identifying situations that may cause higher degrees of anxiety for you. Um, you know, and the world of sport is very uncertain and unpredictable anyway. So the last 20 years with the All Blacks been an environment where 
each week we play, we perform, we succeed, we get pats on the back, we don't, we get scrutinised and quite often brutally. Uh, but our expectations are always higher than most others anyway. But through that, it's about navigating point to point uh, through the turbulence and the landscape's about adjusting and improvising and redirecting as, you know, the situation changes and you get confronted with new information. But that point to point navigating is the key. You know, don't go too far into the future. I, I hate the people that go in and say, what if this happens, this happens, and they catastrophize and they they really bring fear to the forefront. I kind of like to look that in the eye um, understand the mindset I need to face it and what we're going to do, but then come back. And as a leader, when you feel overwhelmed, just remind yourself that what's expected of leaders is judgment, not sheer stamina. So it's you not being so black and white, but understanding these shades of grey, being sort of sensitive to where the individuals in your charger are at, and they'll all be different. And I guess the final thought in relation to his question is around, you know, life's what we make it and it always has been and always will be. And um, the moment we get that perspective and we begin to live it, then we can actually move and not get stuck. Now, many great insights there and great answer uh, again. Now, the, the next question is from our fellow uh, Anzac uh, brother um, and uh, Justin Langer. So I reached out to him about a few different bits and pieces and said I was catching up with you today and he fired a question at me. Um, and the, the question is, and, and maybe sort of looking about any learnings he can take to the great journey he's taking on with the Australian cricket team, but um, his question is, uh, if there's one thing that you would contribute to the All Blacks' sustained success, what would that be? And maybe he's alluding to how you can leave an ongoing part of the legacy of the All Blacks that maybe goes beyond you? Yeah, like it's a um, good question, by the way, because it's short, sharp and filters down to sort of one or maybe one and a half key points. Um, you know, and oh, this is my 20th year with the All Blacks and each one's been a privilege. You know, I just see myself as a custodian and a guardian for this great legacy because the legacy is far more intimidating than any opponent we ever play. And I guess the one thing that I'd probably say would be the moment you think you've made it is the moment you stand still. And I think there's always a next level. Uh, people will come and go, but while you're in there and while you're the custodian, having that understanding about where you sit or fit amidst the bigger picture is pivotal. And then secondly, it's, if you have this thirst for taking people to their next level, then 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 you're actually looking after the legacy and leaving it in good hands for people that will follow will inevitably follow you. Now I've got no doubt that uh, that's front and centre for JL. Obviously, leaving it in a, in a good place post is, uh, as you put it, the privilege to be part of that system and that organisation. So um, he's a big advocate of that also. And well, I guess this. This last question is from uh, a great uh, privately owned Kiwi company based out of Queensland, but they operate all over New Zealand, for, uh, Cook Brothers Construction, and uh, their people and capability manager, maybe similar to Michael Gavin's question, was, um, and maybe in a sense ties into your comment around, there was a moment of time where probably some athletes thought they were somewhat bulletproof to an extent, but... Her question is, what sp uh, specific strategies would you utilise to maintain and support psychological safety and connection amongst your team members to drive individual and collective performance during uncertain and changeable times? And I guess maybe there's a tendency when we've all been threatened some way, shape or form to look to yourself, uh, but we're all part of a, a wider organisation and we need to move forward and, and muster that sort of strength or mindset to, to do so. I mean, any sort of uh, insights to that question, Gil? Yeah, great great question. You know, like people that are looking out and caring for those that are occupying their space, awesome. Um, we, we became a powerful group of individuals when we be, learned to understand that being vulnerable was powerful, that vulnerable was a new strong. And um, once we understood that, then you know, that sharing your fears and sharing your uncertainties became a strength. So that became 
setting up structures where you give people permission to do that, that there's no judgment, that you you name it, you time it, and you you feed into those particular situations become extremely powerful. Um, I think just as a leader and people working in a workplace, it's it's not so much business as usual. It's about being exceedingly human. Um, I, I sort of I read some research I think yesterday when I was just um, googling around, just looking at what people were looking at, and it said that eighty two percent of individuals feel that the pandemic has had a bigger and negative impact on their stress than any other event in history. So that's a big part of the population and it means that a lot of the people we interact with are in a heightened state of anxiety. So, you know, just being aware of that is is huge and I've been encouraging leaders to, to sort of grow a third ear, not only leaders but everybody in the workplace. So, and that third ear is just sort of, understanding that people will either be in survive mode or thrive mode. And if you think that's a continuum, so one end it's I'm just in survival, I'm hanging on, and the other end's thriving. Wow, you know, I'm, I feel in control and as human beings will slide along that particular scale. But a couple of things to understand that there's limited scope to listen to any message if there's too much fear. So quite often the conversations you have to have with people is to try and move, remove the fear so that they can at least listen. Um, people who are in survival mode until they don't have to worry about survival. So, you know, quite often we, I tend to talk to people and say, if you meet someone and there's a lot of fear, then lead with calm. If you're talking to someone where there's a lot of uncertainty, then what they need is clarity. If you're talking to someone where there's a lot of anger or angst about it then you know they just need compassion and understanding they they don't need to be given solutions or advice they just need to be heard so I guess that those sort of things just wrap up the whole notion of being exceedingly human um, through this period as we and understanding that will slide up and down this particular scale now once again you've you've provided a very simple answer to maybe a uh, a fairly uh, complex sort of question in the sense that I love the, you know, uh, vulnerability is the new strong and removing any stigma to the negative around that, around judgment and whatnot. I too agree that I think uh, I've certainly witnessed and seen um, the humanistic component of this uh, episode we're all going through and how people have come together to, to, to support and, and back one another in during a challenging time. Um, I love the that thing uh, or the comment around uh, the removal of fear for people to listen. You're right. You, the message can't uh, can't can't uh, get through if they're looking through that lens of, of fear and, and obviously um, you know everything's uh, shut down by uh, what's going on in their mind and and I think also that the different modes of language depending on what sort of mental state uh, that person's in. So I think you've. You've nailed that one. So great question and equally great uh, answer. So uh, I'm certainly conscious of your time, Gilbert. You've done a, a great job uh, fitting us into your schedule today, and I appreciate that. And um, uh, I could be here all day, and I'm sure some of the listeners could for for sure. But uh, there's one last question, and uh, I guess something that's near and dear to my heart. I've got four young four young kids, and you, know, you sort of want to set them up for success and, and help them realise their potential. So I mean, I guess my last question is what advice do you have for young kids on how mindset uh, can be a key differentiator to them being, I guess, the architect of their own life and, and not just their own life, but their best version of their own life? Uh, any final comments on that side of it? Yeah, it's a toughie, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a lot of it is about what we reinforce and what we value because we reinforce, um, you know, studying and preparing for an exam, the knowledge component, if we want to work through that, we we value um, the physical application to lots of different things that we need to to get really, really strong. And when it comes to applying that same discipline to this area, we, are, we want to control our thoughts and our actions. And, you know, like the context is really huge for me. Like I don't think there's a better time, like I've set myself a challenge of, trying to really embellish a structure that enables people to develop mental resilience through this particular period. And 
And what that means is we want people to exert greater control over what they think and greater control over what they do because if we know those two in combination, they give you a fortitude that enables you to take on anything. So what you have to do with the kids is to break their frame. So how can I get them to see this picture in a different way? Um, and, you know, that how you do that, well, there's a myriad of ways, but you'll know your children. But, you know, it's aligned with uh, the, the comment I made earlier that your skill sets don't matter if your mindset's wrong. So quite often people are trying to change a mindset but what you need is actually a structure to actually help you make change that mindset. So don't so much look at the mindset. Take your attention to the structure you can use that maybe by doing that, it enables people to look at something differently. And by doing that, the mindset has shifted. And um, I see many people in sport who are trying to solve a lot of mindset issues, but they're really structural ones. And they go nowhere and they wonder why. So... Lovely, lovely challenge for you as a dad. And what I'd be tending to do is I'd start by collaborating with others. I'd sit down with other people and say, this is the situation, what do you think? And through having those discussions, you then generate and germinate ideas that you can try. And then uh, if it doesn't work, you know, you try again. And it's the old saying, nothing's as wise as water passing rock. If it can't go over it, car goes around it. If it can't go around it, goes under it can't go under it, goes through it, never stops. Yep. No, I think uh, fantastic answer um, around some of those discussions and being a bit fluid with it all as you put in that final comment. So, look, Gil, we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think uh, at the end of the, the day, we, we all leave a, a, a legacy of some description, and I think you're well on your way to leaving a fantastic one. I think uh, – the best uh, impact we can have on others, uh, be it our kids or those around us, is you know uh, helping them realise their potential, become their best version, and clearly you've built a career out of doing that. So uh, yeah, clearly have had a massive impact, and, and congratulations for all you've done, and, and thanks again for taking the time to share some of those uh, valuable insights and tools and techniques. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will benefit a great deal, and all the best for uh, what's in front of you and the All Blacks. Thank you, Sean. Been a privilege to share this time with you and uh, wish all the best to all those people that are listening. I think reflecting on the, uh, the conversation we had with Gilbert, there's just so many simple insights and takeaways that you can take to your own world. And I think uh, during a time under COVID, where mindset has never been more pivotal and uh, under threat, so to speak. Uh, I think he gives us some wonderful tips and tricks for us to work on. So I really hope there's uh, one or two things that you can seek to implement. That's where the the rubber hits the road. That's where the challenge is, but obviously that's where the opportunity is as well. So I really hope that you got some takeaways here today. If you enjoyed it, you think other people as well, I think it's a great gift to pass on to others as well if you think uh, they may benefit from listening. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. Thank you.